So Dr. Michael Brown is probably the most influential figure in my personal life. I've listened to more hours of Dr. Brown teaching than all other teachers combined. He, he taught us in Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. He was the president of the Bible College, and he taught us that humility, service, and sacrifice are the genuine Christian life. He taught us that we must have more confidence in God's ability to lead than our ability to follow. And he taught us to pray, my life for the gospel, whatever it takes, may I live a life that makes sense in the light of eternity. You know, Dr. Brown, I pulled a scripture for this time together, and it's uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Luke quotes Paul saying, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. When, when I read this, I remember Hudson Taylor saying, the secret of an unsatisfied life lies too often in an unsurrendered will. Would you talk to us for a minute about how important it is to lay everything at the feet of Jesus? It, it's, it's everything. It's the beginning. It's, it's the end. It comes to this, Eric, and I'm so blessed to see God's ongoing work in your life these many years. But it comes to this very simply. If the gospel is true, it's the only thing that makes sense. If, if the Bible is true, if God is really there, if, if he created us for his purposes, if we're going to be with him forever, and we're just passing through this world, then the only thing that makes sense is the life completely surrendered to him. Jesus didn't die simply so our sins would be forgiven. And he didn't die just to have our attendance at a church meeting once a week. He died for us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, you're bought with a price. You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God with your body. So we belong to him, heart, soul, mind, strength. He is our all in all. He is our life. And if you don't start with a life surrendered to him, everything else is out of order. You know, it's a different subject, but I heard uh, from Derek Prince's grandson that Derek Prince used to teach about Israel. And he said, Israel is like the first button on the shirt. And if you get that wrong, all the other buttons are wrong. Well, let's apply it here. If, if you have not laid everything at the feet of Jesus, if you're not starting there, then everything else is, is out of order. It's out of order in eternity in terms of our eternal perspective, and it's out of order in the here and now. First John 2, we've all heard many times, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, pride of life, is not of the Father, it's of the world, and the world and its lusts are passing away, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there are all these distractions, like, like candy to a little child, hey, over here, over here, and we get distracted, and we give our heart, our soul, our passion, our emotion to things that are secondary, and, and we miss out on the one that's, that's the most important of all, and it's not simply that Jesus died for us, and therefore we live for him, but it's also, he is everything that, that when you set your eyes on him and encounter his goodness, all you want to do is live for him and make him known. And then if you're married, if you're single, if you're working a job, whatever you're doing now is all filtered through him first. And, and the reality is in John 15, he says, without me, you can do nothing. So if the gospel is true, if we're really hellbound sinners, destined to be destroyed and, and separated from God forever. And God in his love sent his son to die for us that we could know him and make him known. That's everything. 
that's where it starts. And, you know, it's, it's almost like I, I get you a, a ticket for a sports event, the sports event of a lifetime. You've always wanted to go to this, but tickets are impossible to get. And I, and I get you the ticket. It cost me an unbelievable amount of money to get there, fly you there. It's in a really difficult situation, get you there. And you spend your whole time in the lobby at one of the, the vendors, you know, getting food. It's like, what, what did you do? That's how we spend our lives relatively speaking on secondary pursuits and things that don't really matter. So it's always good to ask yourself, does my life make sense in the light of eternity? If what I believe is real, if the promises are real, if God is real, if Jesus is who he says he is, does my life make sense in the light of eternity? You know, another thing you used to teach us in Brownsville is that we must take our roots deep in prayer. I remember it's written in Colossians 4.2, I believe, devote yourselves to prayer. And you, you told us in the past, you said, the more you pray, the more you love to pray, and the more handicapped you feel without prayer. And I also remember uh, Samuel Chadwick taught Leonard Ravenhill that wonderful quote that he echoed many times, no man is greater than his prayer life. Could you just talk to us about two things. One, how important is it to take our roots deep in prayer? And two, how? Yeah. Well, it's, it's super important because that's, that's the flow of our life and, and the foundation of intimacy with God. That and having the word of God in our lives are, are the two foundational streams out of which our life flows and on which character and service are, are built. Samuel Chadwick also said the church always fails at the point of self-confidence. And, and for many of us, there is a subtle self-confidence that I can basically do this on my own. I can do God's work. I can, I can lead my family. I can succeed in whatever I'm called to do on my own. And then I add in a little prayer for emergencies here and there or quote my, my, my quiet time or my daily devotions without recognizing how deeply dependent we are on meeting with God. And uh, I've told generations of, of ministry students now that the greatest challenge you're going to have as you go on doing ministry work is not fundraising, is not getting a proper staff, is, is not learning how to preach or teach or things like that. The, the biggest challenge is going to be maintaining a solid private life with God, because the more successful you are in what you're doing, the more demands are going to be put on you, the more you can thrive on the adrenaline of running and doing stuff for God rather than being with him. And that's been my great challenge over the years, the adrenaline of ministry, the fact that I always feel so gripped to write, to speak, to do this, to do that, whereas God wants first and foremost that, that I stop and be with him, not primarily to be praying about things, although obviously that's part of what we do in prayer and intercession, but first and foremost to be with him. Here, look at it like this. I don't know if I've ever used this illustration, but, but think of your life in God being kind of like a solar panel, right? So the solar panel is just being, it's just drinking in the sunlight, but it has to do that in order to, to transmit heat and electrical power, whatever it does. So in the same way, us being with God is kind of like the solar panel effect. We, we are being in his presence and, and therefore, sensing his heart more and, and therefore becoming more like him. 
And uh, if you look at in the Gospel of Luke in particular, it tells us different times about Jesus praying that the other Gospels don't mention. You know, the other Gospels mention Matthew and Mark, you know, getting up early in the morning or, Luke, uh, or, or excuse me, you know, praying at night, different things like that. But Luke gives us some extra glimpses into the prayer life of Jesus. You know, in the third chapter, as he's being baptized, he's praying. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove and the Father says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Isn't, isn't that interesting? At that significant moment in his life as he's about to step out into public recognition and ministry, what's he doing? He's, he's praying. When, when you get to the fourth chapter, of course, he's in the wilderness for 40 days, obviously, meeting with God. The fifth chapter, it tells us that great crowds came to follow him and to be healed of their diseases. So that's why, that's why he's on this earth until he dies, is to teach and preach and heal and set people free. And just think of knowing, if I leave this town, there are people that are going to still be deaf when I leave because I had to leave. And they'll still be blind because I didn't get to touch them. And they still won't have heard the good news. And yet it says in Luke 5, 16, that he would withdraw to lonely places and pray. He, John, John 5, he says, I can only do what I see my father doing. So he had to be with his father. I mean, it's, it's devastating to read this and to think about it. In the ninth chapter, um, when we read about the transfiguration, that he goes up on the mountain to pray. Matthew and Mark didn't tell us that detail, but Luke does. He went up on the mountain to pray with his disciples. Hey, let's go pray. Think of that. You know, the 11th chapter, he gives a, a parable about, about persistence and, and, and about importunity in, in prayer. And then, of course, in, in Luke, the 18th chapter, the, the parable of the persistent widow. You know, so he's teaching about prayer and the importance of prayer. And, and then uh, later in Luke, his, his, as he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, his, his, his sweat is like drops of blood in the midst of his intense praying. I mean, there, there are a lot of glimpses into the prayer life of Jesus here that, that indicate to us that he lived a life of prayer. And you just have to think, okay, if, if it was essential for the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, to pray, what makes me think I can just kind of run on fumes? What makes me think just because I have a gift or an anointing that I can just make it without him? Again, he says, without me, you can do nothing. Uh, and I've often challenged myself by the Ravenhill quote, you know, no man is greater than his prayer life. And said, okay, when God's measuring, what, what's he looking at? And, and I don't mean in a legalistic way that he's keeping a diary every day, or you didn't pray enough, or you didn't do this enough. But in terms of what really matters, you know, think as a husband and father, you've had to learn what's most important to your wife and what's most important to your kids. And maybe you're bringing home flowers every single day and then spending the whole night watching sports and playing video games. And your wife says, I don't care about the flowers. I want you. I want your attention. So it's the same with God. What's most important to him? What's most necessary for us? And the question I ask is, is who are we really? Not the public persona. I mean, we've seen enough scandals recently. Not the public persona, but who are you really in private? Think of prayer as the roots of a tree. Here's a giant oak tree, and it withstands a hurricane. But it's not just because the tree is so strong, but because the roots are so strong. How deep are our roots in God? How deep am I in God? So what do we do to put down deeper roots? Well, we, we have to make serious choices. On the one hand, you may be in a situation where your prayer life is so miserable that you just have to start taking baby steps. 
because if, if you go for it like some radical way, you'll last for a day or two and then fall back. So you may just have to take baby steps. James, Jacob, the fourth chapter, if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. So in, in that context, you, okay, I'm not praying at all. I'll start praying five minutes a day. I'll start praying 10 minutes. If I'm praying 10 minutes, I'll pray 15 minutes. And I'm going to set aside specific time and get with him. But, but what I found, I had to do that once in my life in, in the uh, in 1982, when God convicted me that I had left my first love, I was finishing up my PhD work, active in different types of humanitarian, compassionate ministry, different things we were doing, but had really left my first love. And when God convicted me, I thought, okay, I, I want this to, to be long term. So I've got to turn in the right direction, turn in the right direction, turn in the right direction. And then the fire fell and, and transformed me. But otherwise, what I found necessary is over the years to make radical choices and to break away. So for example, if it's a matter of changing your schedule and just, okay, I'm staying in my room tonight and I'm, I'm turning off everything, radio, TV, cell phone, and I'm getting on my face and I'm crying out to God for breakthrough and I'm not getting off my face until I break through you. So I spent four hours, nothing happened. And I got tired, fell asleep. Okay, do it again the next day. You know, that, that you, you make those steps. If, if we can schedule time to get alone, sometimes, you know, we make all kinds of family decisions and Say, hey, can we schedule this? You know, your wife needs time. Okay, let's clear a day. I'm going to take care of the kids. Just so you can get with God. Uh, I've had to go away. I hadn't done it in years for a protracted period of time, but early December, uh, instead of vacation for our family or anything like that, just went away for eight days just to get with God. And Eric, the amazing thing was, was immediately. I remember the first night alone, just overwhelmed weeping because of his goodness. It just the reality of God so strong, he's, he's eager to meet with us. He desires to spend time with us. So we have to make those decisions that I'm going to put God first. And then you have to look, okay, what's getting in the way? Is it just flesh, lack of discipline? Is, is it distraction from busyness of emails and texts or watching sports or some other distraction, you know, whatever the distraction might be in our lives? Look at it. Be honest. Be ruthless. And if something's an idol in your life, cast that thing down in Jesus' name. And again, God wants to spend time with us. And I know over the years that there have been times when I've I've gotten away for, for days to be with the Lord. And I thought, boy, the first thing he's going to do is rebuke me because I haven't been diligent enough in seeking his face in private, or I haven't been, you know, opening my heart, you know, enough in prayer and and he's probably going to rebuke me the first day. Instead, he just poured out love. It's, it's good to be with you. It's good to be with you. I, I rebuked myself enough. He didn't need to in, in those settings. So make a determination. And then make it a lifestyle. And when you see something, it's just like if you used to be overweight and you weigh yourself every day. It's like, oh, okay, got to be careful here. Do things so there are checks in your life. Okay, I'm, I'm neglecting my prayer time. All right, I'm, I, I, that time I used to get up early, I'm not doing that. Or the time I'd seek him late, I'm not doing that. And, and then you quickly get back on track and then develop it as a lifestyle. And when you do, it really is true. You, you have a hard time trying to do anything without really meeting with God. You feel kind of naked spiritually, but it's, it's a healthy dependence to have. It is spiritual reality. Wow, that's incredible. I know in both of your last answers, you've said a lot to the viewers. 
But if I could just ask you to look into the camera, we have wives watching this, women, mothers, you know, blue collar workers. We have people digging ditches. We have all kinds of people that watch this channel. Will you just look into the eyes of the people watching and speak to them from your heart? Sure. Uh, God wants your heart. And that's what he's looking at. And when he has your heart, he can have it 24 seven. Here, think of this. Have you ever been in a stressful situation? You're under terrible pressure, maybe financial pressure. Maybe a loved one is sick. Maybe a relationship is falling apart. You carry that all the time. You can get an ulcer from worrying while you're digging a ditch, while you're changing diapers, while you're training for athletic competition, while you're getting ready to preach behind a pulpit. I remember one gentleman was talking about, you can worry 24 seven. He said, why don't we worry the word? In, in other words, yes, it's important to do certain things and be with God as we've been talking about that and lay your life before him. But you could be thinking, well, how do I do that? How am I just gonna get caught up with worship when I got three little ones running around screaming and this one crying and the other one's sick and I'm homeschooling uh, two older and I got five, you know, how am I gonna, oh, just wonderful Jesus, just meet with God. How am I, how am I gonna do that? Or someone said, you know, you know, my job is tremendous mental pressure on me and very, very challenging. And it's the condition of the heart that God is looking at. Here, look at it in a positive way. When you're in love, right? You just, no matter what you do in the whole day, you're just thinking about that person. I get to call for like three minutes during lunch break, you know, or we're going to have dinner together or whatever. You're just thinking about it all the time, or you're counting the days for your wedding or whatever it is. It's, there can be a love and a passion that's so real that, that you're loving God all the time, that he's in your heart, that he's in your mind, in the midst of, of everything that you're doing. It's the heart that he wants. And when our hearts are cold, everything we do is going to be spiritually distant. But when our hearts are warm, when our hearts are, are, are burning, then he's, he's our all in all. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back to a fellow that came down to, to visit during the Brownsville Revival. We had known him since he was a, a little boy, and he had really lost his way. He had gotten completely caught up in the world, and he was a, he was a tall, striking-looking guy, and you know, really get attention. And and he was very lost. And I remember he went to some convenience store. We were on our way to a service at the Brownsville Revival. He went into the store to get something. Came out, drove to the service. Well, he met with God there, and he was transformed. And, and you, could, you could literally see the transformation in his life. Just a matter of days later, we went back. He had to run into the same convenience store to get something. Maybe I was getting gas. He ran in there and he came out and he said, yeah, the lady said, what happened to you? She, she could see the difference because he was changed from the inside out. And, and that's what I really want to ask you. Does God have your heart? Are you passionate about him? Now, please hear me. I'm not saying this to condemn you, but to analyze, because I've got the cure. I've got the cure. Has your heart grown cold? Have you left your first love? Does God really have central place in your heart? Do you find yourself just during the day telling Jesus how much you love him, or is that kind of a, a foreign thought? How much is there just spontaneous praise? How, how much communion is there from the inside with him? You see, and sometimes we lose track of it. And because it's not like getting on the scale physically, we can deceive ourselves. 
We can forget what we used to have and who we used to be. That's why Jesus says to the Ephesian church in Revelation 2, remember the height from which you've fallen. Sometimes I've had to go back to old journal entries and, and, and read. It's like, wow, I was at a different place then with God than I am now. I've, I've read chapters of old books of mine where I was gripped with passion to see, does that convict me or is that where my heart is? So sometimes we're, we're unable to measure because our measuring stick is adjustable when it comes to ourselves. But the bottom line is this, God wants your heart. And if your heart's grown cold, if you're becoming different, maybe, maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been through something really terrible. Maybe you were someone's victim, some, some professing Christian leader. Maybe you've been through church splits. Maybe you've had a spouse leave you. Maybe a child of yours you prayed for wasn't healed and you lost your own child. Where was God? And, and you haven't backslidden, but you're just not who you used to be. Or maybe you really messed up with sin and you feel like you can't look yourself in the mirror. Whatever it is, God wants to touch your heart afresh today and out of that burning heart, if you sinned, ask forgiveness, Jesus paid for it at the cross fully and entirely. If you go to him and say, Lord, wash me, cleanse me. If you confess where you've drifted, if you say, God, I don't, I don't know what happened. I'm just not who I used to be. I need your help. God gives grace to the humble. It says in Isaiah 57, 15, that the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity also dwells with the one broken and contrite in spirit. And just through the day, say, God, I want you. God, I need you. You can do that while changing diapers. You can do that while digging ditches. You can do that while commuting. You can, you can do that in between counseling sessions. Even as you're counseling, God, pray, God, I need you. God, I want you. Lord, ignite, my, ignite the fire in my heart. He'll do it. And then as he does it, don't despise it. Don't take it for granted. Pursue him back. And before you know it, You'll be burning for God in ways you never were before. So may, may God light a fresh fire in your heart. May God reveal if you've strayed, if you've left your first love, if you've backslidden, if you've compromised, if you've lost hope, if you've lost sight of calling because of failure. May God reignite your heart. May he put hope back within you. May the reality of God flood your life so that you can enjoy him and bear much fruit and help touch a dying and needy world. May Jesus be glorified to the full in your life. That was incredible. I don't know how someone can watch that and not feel the, the presence of the Lord and the conviction of the Lord. I just want to say thank you so much, Doc, for coming on and just who you've been to me in my own personal life. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am today had I not had your ministry of the Word coming into my life uh, on a constant basis. So. I love you and thank you so much for for coming on. 